Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. This nationally recognized, award-winning podcast is hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program. Our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts. This is your host, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm pleased to have joining me Dr. Tony Bardot, Assistant Professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Kentucky. Welcome, Tony. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Tony, we're thrilled to have you joining us today. We kind of have a set of regular voices, and you are a new voice for us. So um, thank you so much for, for recording with us. And then I'm also really excited about your topic today, because we're going to talk about quality of life and kind of living, quote unquote, the good life, which I think is something that we all kind of need a few reminders on right now, or maybe even a little help in finding our happiness. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think when we think about quality of life, a lot of times we think about our economic well-being or our health, a lot of the objective components of life. And I think we forget to think about the things that actually give us meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life and to think about what those things are. And, um, and that's what I'm here to talk about today. Awesome. And just hearing you say that, I, I think you're exactly right that because my mind kind of went to quantifiable measures in terms of financial well-being. Are there things that I can measure? I can look at my net, net worth from year to year and see if that's going up or going down and how that kind of affects our family. Um, the same thing with kind of our health measures. But when you're talking about, you know, happiness, what kind of factors contribute to our happiness or the sense that we are having a good life? Yeah, yeah. I like that you're using that term good life. And it, it gets a little bit confusing because I think when we think about happiness, we think about momentary, how you feel like in the moment, right? But when we're talking about happiness here today, it's more broadly in the sense of, you know, how you feel about your overall life in terms of everything going on, um, not just at that moment, but but collectively and how you assess things going forward as well. And, and that's, you know, kind of what we refer to as, as the good life. There's lots of components that go into assessing that, but it, it is, um, it is subjective. What goes into that can differ from person to person, but on average, um, we think about sort of the larger, larger, more common components that sort of, we all share thinking about our family and our friends, our health, our hobbies, um, the place that we live and how satisfied we are um, with those pieces in our life and how they're they're coming together. So I think when we think about overall well-being, it's thinking about how those things are coming together, whether or not maybe we have a problem in one of those areas or not, which could have an impact on on how we we're feeling in life in general. I really do appreciate this topic. And just kind of a little side story is that I've taught a class called Family Resource Management, and it's a junior, senior level class. And I always tell my students at the beginning of the semester that regardless of whatever path they're going to take once they walk out of this university, that this was the life skills class. You know, how do you buy a house? How do you buy a car? How do you figure out your investments for your retirement? You know, those things that that we just think of that every person needs to know. 
And after about four or five years of teaching the class, I was doing some reading and prep one summer prior to the fall semester and actually added a component on happiness because I thought, you know, I've spent so much time trying to teach these students really how to be successful, but part of their success is really adding, you know, at figuring out what it is that brings them happiness and that it's not always about how much their paycheck is or how nice their house is or how nice their car is. So we actually added a, a book called The How of Happiness that we kind of did it as almost like a book club for class that was a real easy read, but still really kind of enforced this idea of thinking about your own happiness and what contributes to that. And, you know, something that I kind of learned through that process, and then I guess just through my own you know, adulthood is that factors kind of change over time. And so um, what factors might give us a sense of well-being change as we age? Yeah, totally. And I love that you talk about the component of these life skills, especially for these young adults and building them up. And because because that is a major factor early on, early on, right, our health for the most part on average, right, our health is great. Things are going good. Uh, Most of us haven't gone through major family transitions yet, or at least within our families of our own. So everything in the beginning of life, sort of, uh, we rank it similarly. Everything's pretty good on, uh, for the most part, right? We've got our ups and downs, and individuals have different uh, things going on. But, but um, those life skills are, are super important because of the factors that contribute to our well-being later on. And one of those is is that transition into adulthood in America specifically, we really pride ourselves on on independence. And that means establishing your, your own family unit, establishing your own house, establishing your own tra- transportation, your own everything. You're supposed to do everything on your own. And whether or not that's good for our well-being, I don't know, but that's what we're supposed to do. And so I think having those life skills to be able to set that up on your own, um, because in order to even think about happiness or what contributes to our well-being, we already have to have a minimum standard of living to have our needs met. And so if we're not meeting those needs, then we don't have the luxury to, to think about our happiness. And so, um, so that's, that's early on. And we focus a lot here on, on family early on and sort of establishing that, that family unit. But what is family, right? And I think that differs from place to place and culture to culture, even within the United States. And it changes over time how we think about family. It's not just, I think, that traditional that traditional unit of a, a mother, a father, a husband, wife, and their children, but but it's becoming more dynamic. And, um, and I think that in a way is a, is a good thing, especially now I think we're seeing in, in this time where we're all stressed out that there's other people that we can turn to, other people that we can reach to, other people that we can think of as family. I think hopefully we see communities growing stronger and in, in reaching out towards one another because that's a super important part of our happiness. And I think if we think about family just in the traditional sense, that could have detrimental impacts on our well-being as we age, especially because we're so independent. We're, we're raising our kids to launch them out into the world. So when they leave, if that was the center of our universe, then, um, <laughs> then that might not be so good for us. And then once our kids leave, if our spouse was the center of our universe, well, 
they're going to die or you're going to die. So that's not going to be so good for one or the other. Um, typically that ends up for, for women because in America, we like to, to men uh, marry younger women, women marry older men because of the whole financial component and other things. And so we see this petering off of, of how much family contributes to our well-being later on in life. And I think if we focus more broadly on what family could be, and how we integrate that across our lives that could really, really help us out. I think we might be seeing some of that. I think we see these little bubbles popping up as people uh, quarantine and, you know, let others in and out, you know, and, and we're actually kind of thinking about that and thinking, who is it that we want to surround ourselves with right now? If it can be a limited number of people, who's that going to be? And being cognizant of that and who and where we're spending our time and energy with um, is super important. I think we took a lot of that for granted before. I, um, I think you're so right. And just listening to you talk, so many things that you have said just kind of resonated with, with me personally is that, you know, we do not live in the same town as my family nor my husband's family. And so, you know, when you just life, you need people. And so it's kind of, you know, finding, finding your own tribe. But I remember when um, our young or our oldest went to kindergarten, you've got to fill out that pickup form and their kindergarten required eight people, eight emergency contacts. And it really kind of made me step back and think, oh my goodness, I've got to find eight people that are willing to drop everything that they are doing and go pick my kid up at school because he threw up or he's bleeding or whatever it may be. But it really did kind of, you know, that you kind of this idea of building your own tribe. And I think that that's so, so, so true right now in terms of kind of, you know, the little pods that have formed of who's kind of in, in your circle and that um, is kind of helping folks through this time. So, so much of what you said there resonated so much with me. And, you know, thinking of this idea of aging, and I, I see this with some of my coworkers, especially coworkers that, and this is, I'm aging myself here, but I now have coworkers that I may have had as students or graduate students, and now they're, and now they're peers. But this idea of aging and becoming an adult, it really kind of seems as if it has changed over time. I have I have one coworker that he liked to remind me, you know, just just as a joke that he'd say, well, you know, adulthood doesn't really start till 26. Um, or, you know, and and then once he turned 26, I said, so are we an adult now? He's like, well, maybe adulthood starts at 29 now. But it's kind of this whole idea that, you know, 60 is the new 50. And just becoming an adult seems to be changing over time. Is that true? Uh, yes, definitely. So we're, we are definitely seeing and have for decades sort of what we call in, um, uh, an extended period of transition to adulthood, a prolonging of that. And what's really funny is you mentioned the 60s, the new 50. And because I think a lot of the reason that we're seeing this prolonging of adulthood is also because uh, our transition to adult is because we're also seeing a, a prolonging of a transition into old age. And so if if the current adults aren't exiting into old age, there's only so much room in the labor force and in other areas, housing market, everything that makes our markers of adulthood to become an adult. And then you see um, these older cohorts, older, um, you know, not only say older adults, but uh, adults that have children who should be who they expect to be transitioning, saying, "Oh, well, you just expect everything. You uh, you're not willing to work for for what you want." 
there's not any empty spots to come in and and fill to actually become an adult because all of those roles are still being uh, clogged up by people who traditionally would have been retiring, but now uh, we're living longer and healthier lives on average. So uh, what are we going to do with those years? So we're going to work and make more money because that's what makes us happy. That was sarcasm, right? Right, um, right. So <laughs> it's not necessarily that our current generation of youth are entitled or lazy. It's just kind of this natural progression as aging has stretched out that before an individual can move up into the next stage, we have to wait for those that group to move up as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a natural sort of, uh, uh, well, not natural, but the way that society's uh, designed and functioning right now, it's sort of, yeah, it's where do you go? Plus also with the technological development, globalization, shifting in, in labor force, um, I think it's taking an extended period of training um, and experience as well. I, I can't tell you how many undergrads I work with and they, they're working on their applications and, you know, you send out your application, but everybody wants some sort of experience. How do I get that experience? How do I get to that level? And so um, you people are taking a lot more internships and, and other things. So it takes a lot more time and training to sort of get into these sorts of roles. So you do see a lot of, a lot of boomerang kids, kids who are launching out there, but maybe not finding that exact sort of, uh, spot where they can feel comfortable in or finding something that can even support them. So they're coming back. But at the same time, too, we're, I think, just like you're talking about with your course, adding a little happiness component in there. Um, We're also thinking about careers differently. Historically, you could have found a career and done a good job, worked hard in there, and that job you could have kept for a long time. Um, And now our employers aren't doing that. Our employers don't provide pensions. They don't provide um, these sorts of long-term benefits or or careers. And and they're running through workers as much as they want to, too, you know, trying to find that sort of happiness. And I think that's, that's foreign to a lot of, uh, a lot of parents out there now. It's like, no, you got to find a job to, to support your family and to do this and that, but uh, we're not getting that same level of commitment on on the other end. And so, like you said, it's getting a little bit more out of it. And and how can we do that? Is finding something we enjoy doing. Um, and if you have the luxury to do that, definitely is uh, is worth pursuing. I think. Yeah. So I'm trying to prepare myself for a boomerang kid at home. Our oldest is is 16, and I, I joke with him all the time that our bedroom situation, he is upstairs and has his own space and his own bathroom and large room and all that. And then um, his little sister is eight, and she's in a much smaller room. So I tell him all the time that um, I'm like, you've had this room. Once you turn 18, you're welcome to stay as long as you'd like to stay, but you're flip-flopping rooms. You know, your sister is going to get to to move upstairs just to make him a little less comfortable. He's welcome to stay. He's welcome to leave. He's welcome to come back. But um, (laughs) I I am making it to where he's just a little less comfortable if he chooses to, to do that. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for his um, mental health or well-being or happiness, but um, I've told him he's always has a place to stay. Just he needs to know that he's getting switched up, though, and his sister gets a chance to kind of live in luxury as well. Um, So let's talk a little bit about kind of this shift in what it means to become an adult. And it seems like that that could add a lot of stress. And has this had an impact on our mental health? 
Totally. Yeah. It, it, so, so imagine, imagine that you're told that you need to do all of these things to become independent, that you, you know, you need to go to school or get a trade and find a job and buy a house and take your own car payment and the insurance. And then sometime after you get those things stable, get married and start a family and, and then you get out there and you're trying to do those things, but yet the opportunities aren't there, right? The opportunities aren't there like they used to be. And um, we have a lot more entry level positions, lower paying positions. Wages have been stagnant for, for decades and cost of living has gone up tremendously. And we're all told that we need to go to school and college now. And the price of that is exuberant. And we're coming out with insane amounts of debt. And so um, then you're told that, hey, well, why aren't you doing these things that you're supposed to be doing? We prepared you for this. This is what your your failure now. That is super, super stressful. And uh, we're seeing a rise in, in anxiety and depression among these uh, these younger cohorts. And I think that has um, a lot to do with it. And plus, also, too, I think that whole addition of sort of the, the happiness component and sort of finding yourself or finding that can also be stressful in a way, even though once you or if you find it, it could be super beneficial. But at the same time, there's not a roadmap laid out there for you. It's, you know, broadly do X, Y and Z and things will be good. But at that the uncertainty in that is overwhelming and you know oftentimes you might have to move to do these sorts of things and there could or couldn't be um there's push and pull factors um right and so uh like you said you you wound up in a new place and you needed to put down eight people and you're like do i even know eight people right, that i right. let alone eight people i trust with my kids so and and leaving too can be just as a big of a struggle because it could there could be a sense of okay well there's not so many opportunities here but I have this opportunity to achieve this level of independence that you saying that I need to so I have to leave our small town to do that but then there's a sense of well it's not good enough here for you you think you're better than us why well why are you leaving this and and um and and so it, it becomes complicated the same time so there's uh there's mixed messages i think that people are getting and then once you do get out if you do leave uh to find new opportunities then you have those new markers that you have to establish the family the kids the other things and then back to your example well what do you do with those who's going to take care of those kids who's going to be there when they need to be picked up from school in the middle of the day and i have to work and all these other things that, you know, our traditional family units would have taken care of. But now that uh, we're, I think, um, more often than not um, finding ourselves in, in new places to seek new opportunities to achieve these um, these levels of independence and happiness that we want, it gets hairy. It most certainly does. And, you know, as, as I was listening to you talk there, I was thinking about the current emerging adults or those students, those kiddos that are maybe getting ready to graduate either from high school or college and step out into quote unquote, the real world right now that obviously it'll be a year or two before we know the impact of the current situation and and the pandemic. But just from a kind of an economist viewpoint, that young adult group is really going to get crunched during this. Um, I've even said recently, thinking about my own son, that, you know, 
I'm glad he's not any older right now that we need to put a couple years between him and whatever the the job market may look like in, into the future. So it's going to be tough on on that group. And like I said, it, it'll be some time before we know the true impact, but certainly something to watch. A double crunch. And it's going to it's going to have an, an extraordinary impact on this young cohort coming out now. It's going to be the same thing that happened to the cohort around 2008 and the Great Recession, because exactly. folks who are about to retire now as well can't do that. Uh, if they're lucky enough to still even have their jobs, if you lost your job, you're going to be going back to the labor force if you plan on retiring because you're not going to be able to afford to. And that just means more clogging on the back end that's going to prevent um, either young people from moving up in the position or even entering the labor uh, force to begin with at all. And so um, so it's going to be um, it's going to be a rough ride, I believe. And I think a lot of that sort of goes back to this sort of shift in individualism from um, a lot of support from our employers and the community where we would have had these pensions and other things that could have absorbed the risk. Uh, that now we take all the risks. Yeah, it might provide a lot more opportunity, but at the same time, um, when these things happen at a societal level, um, that means that the repercussions are going to pass down for, for a long time. Tony, as we were kind of wrapping up there, that's that's one reason that I think that this topic is, is so important today. And just a good reminder for our listeners that as we're navigating, whether it's the next several days or weeks or months or even years that keeping mental health at the forefront and being aware of our mental health and well-being and taking care of our mental health and well-being is important to our overall success as an individual as well as as a family. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition, health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question or a show topic idea, leave a like and a comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT or send us an email at UKFCSEXT at UKY.edu. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. We build Kentucky. It starts with us.